0: John chapter 13, Jesus, the servant of all. How does it start? Where does it go? Jesus enters his Passion Week. When we talk about the Passion Week, we talk about the last week of Christ. We talk about when Jesus came um, onto earth. He's fulfilling his mission. If you look through all the scriptures, especially in the Gospel of John, he talks about timing. He talks about how that's important. He says... It is not my time. My time has not come. And my t- and in John chapter 13, right around in there, um, he says, my time has arrived, is upon us. We have just a little bit of time left. And here it is. Um, so Jesus is entering the last week of his life. He comes in on like a king on a donkey, and he leaves going out, dying on a cross. And everything in between that um, is exciting and exciting and boisterous, and then low, and dreary, and then it comes with the the resurrection of Christ. And as we got the resurrection, we have our hope. That is our living hope, and that's what we saying about this morning. So Jesus' Passion Week, that's kind of what it is. When you hear that, the passion of the Christ, that's what they're referring to. Uh, that's what the movie is about, when Jesus died on the cross. There's things that are more than just romantic passion out there it's it's something that drives us to get something done and uh that's what christ's passion was about so jesus has prepared his disciples by proclaiming the good news and he has taught them how then to do what he has done so i've done this so you must do so he's passing on this disciple making way of life and they care for each other they're there to form the church, to begin the, the structure, to start that. And they're there to prepare the kingdom of God. They're preparing the place for the Holy Spirit and uh, what he has for each one of them. But when it came to dying on the cross, and he says he's preparing them, you know, I'm going this week, this is the week that I'm going to die. They're like, yeah, let's not talk about that. Um, yeah, uh, Peter actually stands up and rebukes Jesus and says, no. No, that's not how it's going to happen. And Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan, because you're thinking about things of this world. And right now, you should, red flags should be going up and saying, okay, why, why am I thinking of things of this world? This, I thought this was what we were talking about. This is not what we're talking about. So we hit the rewind button, and then we look at the beginning. We see Jesus training his disciples to do ministry, right? We see him coming alongside, building him up. And we see this in John chapter three, verse twenty-two. It says, "Then Jesus and his disciples they left Jerusalem and they went into the Judean countryside, and Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people." So uh, this is a couple of years before John chapter three is a couple of years before John chapter thirteen. Okay, so a couple of years before he trains his disciples. He gets about three and a half years on this earth where he actually does his ministry. He is about 33-ish years old when he dies on the cross, okay? So somewhere in there. Um, Could be 30, could be more. It doesn't really matter. Uh, But generally, Jewish rabbis start at the age of 30, um, start preaching and teaching, and then that's probably when Jesus started his um, ministry. So as we get into this, we see that Jesus pulls out of the major metropolitan area of jerusalem where everything's happening as far as religious things going on and all that and this would you would think that would be where he would want to train his disciples to say look at these guys and how they do these rituals and things and that's how the culture is but jesus says what they teach is right even some of the rituals they're doing are right, but why they're doing them and how they're going about doing them, that's not necessarily correct. And so they come alongside, and they see um, that Jesus needs to pull them out of that environment. He takes them out into uh, sometimes lonely places, and he trains them up. And he says um, he spent some time with them there. He spent some time with them there. And that, the Greek word for that is diatribo, so what does that mean? It means to have time with, but it's, it's more intense than that, to wear into. So it's like quality time with. It's like having leather gloves on. And when you, you ever bale hay with leather gloves and you do that several times or you garden with gloves for a long time and they start to wear through. It's because you spent some intimate time in your garden or in, or baling hay, or whatever you may be doing, and that working through, that's what that diotribo means, is that Jesus is wearing his character into them. We need to get time with. Ministry is all about time with. Building relationships is all about having time with. To wear into, Jesus is imprinting on the 12 his way of life. This is what I do. I get up before you do, usually I'm praying. I minister to people. I baptize them. I show them the way. This is how you baptize. Now I'm not going to baptize anymore. You're going to do the baptizing. Okay? It's not um, about me. I'm going to show you how, so you can do it down later down the road. And as they go, they see that they they get to spend some time with Jesus, and they start to act like Jesus. They get to understand what he's all about, and. Uh, and this is what we can also do, right? God has put people in our path that we can come alongside and baptize, in a sense. We can disciple. We disciple them. We lead them to Jesus, okay? Um, starting with our family, right? That's what we say in the disciple-maker's prayer. Um, help me to, to see who you put across my path, starting with my family. And don't let me miss the adventures, Right? So the question that we need to ask really on a daily basis, and what we're going to ask this morning and and do our best to answer once again, is as a Christian pursuing the Lord, is what does a first century Jesus-like disciple maker look like in the 21st century? So what does first century jesus-like disciple making look like in the 21st century how do we translate that from the first century to now there's a time gap there there is a culture gap there there is a god to man gap there and we have to always try to decipher and, and work through that to find out what does jesus look like how can i be more like him so that's where we're going today This is the question that we should be on our mind constantly as we follow Christ, as we read the Bible, as we have her together, which means to come alongside and and challenge each other in a spiritual way, right? And we find that in John chapter 3 that Jesus begins his wonderful example of grace and mercy, and he sets an example that they are not ready for. And I love it. I love this story. It's in John chapter 3. Let's pick it up in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 5. It says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from the Father and would return to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, he poured water in a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. So as we follow Christ's example here, we know that we as disciple-makers we need to practice servant-style leadership, right? When we see practical, good leadership in the church, it is um, coming alongside instead of leading out front and saying, come, follow me this way, it is getting alongside, come along and and working right along and saying, we can do this, we got this together. This is what love looks like, folks. This is what Jesus says, It is, and this is the example he sets for us to know, right? And that is exciting. So this is our example of leadership in the church because we know that love requires sacrificial action, right? Love requires sacrificial action. You can't just do something because it is something you do over and over and over, but to do it sacrificially, where it takes your time, talent, and treasure to get done. That is what true love is. That's what Christ did. He didn't have much in this earth, and what He did, He gave. Right? He gave up His life so that we might have life. In John chapter 3, we see in verse 3 three things. There's a lot of threes there, right? So, in John chapter 13, we see in verse 3, three things. First one, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. He knew it. How he wanted to fix creation, Christ could have came up with a different way, possibly, if he wanted to. But to do it in the way he did it displays love better than anything, because we know love requires sacrificial action. So, he has authority of God the Father, and he has a choice. He could, he could have wiped everything out. Once Adam and Eve sinned, he could have wiped everything out and started over. Right? I'm going to start over because this isn't working and uh, it's not going to go, but that's not our God. Our God's makeup is a God of redemption. And so he allows us to fall into sin because. He has an opportunity, and his character says that I'm going to love you in spite of that sin, right? So to wipe things out and start, or he could redeem the world of sin and darkness, right? So think about this from God's point of view. The problem of sin has been around for thousands of years now, and God sent Jesus to redeem all mankind unto himself. Jesus has the power to destroy, or he can choose to redeem. It is his choice, because God's given him that authority to do that. And praise God, I'm kind of happy about it, uh, he chose to redeem, right? Um, because, again, that is his nature, it is in his character. You see that throughout. He is, he is quick to bless, slow to anger. Uh, that translates more than we will ever know, I think. Number two, in verse, next on verse three, it says... That he had come from the Father. Jesus was perfect in every way that he had. If he had come from Father, come from God, then he would be able to stand in front of God and be God. Right? There, that is the Trinity. That is the, the confusing nature, I guess, of the Trinity. He was, he was God, three in one, and um, he was separate from God in, in that sense, too that he could come down to the earth and God could still be up in heaven. Can you explain it more than that? Probably not. Um, I'm, I'm not a, that's not my area of expertise. I accept it for what it is, right? And when you do that, it is easier to walk in faith with that. So um, that's what I found. So he was able to stand in front of God as holy and pleasing, and where do we see him standing in front of God as holy and pleasing? We see it in Revelation, right? After he's been through earth, after he's gone through the fire, after he's gone through the refining process of Satan trying to get him to be tempted to sin, but he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I am going to be above this, and he was the lamb that was worthy to be slain, to receive the power and the glory and all that that goes along with it even after he's gone through the fire and the process. The result of Christ's sacrificial action is now we can stand in the presence of a holy God because he came to save us. That's pretty exciting. That's what Christianity is all about. It's about his son, God's son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross, resurrecting again, And if you can disprove that or if you can prove that, then you have some decisions to make. Because if he really was the legit son of God, did he say that he was? Yes, he did. All throughout John, he says uh, that he was God. Okay, so he's either a lunatic or he's telling the truth. Did he back it up? Well, he did miracles, so that helps. What was the biggest miracle that no one has ever done again since? He defeated... Yeah, he was dead for three days, and he rose again. Amen. Um, A gruesome death, and he defeated it. So he is a perfect, holy and pleasing means that he is a perfect sacrifice for us. Holy and pleasing. Finally, verse 3 says that he would return to God, right? Right? So he's come from God, he's going to return to God. He had the confidence that he would defeat sin and death and redeem all mankind. The result of Christ's sacrificial action is that we can stand in the presence of a holy God because holiness means separate from sin, right? But now because of his sacrifice, the blood of Jesus has set us free. This is why we choose to follow him and take the name as Christians or Christ ones, right? he is my God, I have surrendered to him, now I am a Christian. And I think the world today tries to distort words like Christian. It tries to distort lots of words. It tries to distort love, right? What is love to this world? It is, it is um, exchanging of body fluids sometimes these days. And that's, that's not what love is. Love requires sacrifice. It requires God to show up in a mighty way. Uh, this is why we choose. This is why I choose to follow Christ, and I try and I take the name as Christian because I want to set the example of what a Christ one is. The King of all kings came down to serve both you and I, and that is an amazing thing, right? So, where can we serve our community that we see the love of Christ to it, at its full potential? So are you convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God? That's one of the things I think we need to decide. Is God all-powerful? Can he, his love, shine through even the darkest times? I believe it can. Then we have a responsibility to share that with our neighbors. I was just talking about that this week with somebody. It's like, when do you, when you accept Jesus in your heart, when are you discipled enough to... Share your faith, and it's like, well, I've never thought about that before. Well, I, I don't think you need to be discipled to share your faith in Christ Jesus. I think when Christ is moving and He has worked in your heart, and you share that with other people, He's going to work in their heart too. Because he, the, people are going to see a life change in you, and they're going to be like, well, that's what I've been searching for. I've been looking for that that joy that you have now, and I've been looking for that peace that that you said everything's going to be make it all, all right. For some reason, you don't even know why, but you have this peace that passes understanding. Those are two of the most attractive things to me when it comes to um, knowing Jesus as a personal Savior. The joy that's in my heart. You're like, well, I don't, I, don't ha- I don't share that joy. Sometimes that joy is not there in the form of happiness. But I think joy is always there if Christ is there, right? That's an indicator that Christ is there. Can you go through trials and tribulations and still have the joy of the Lord in your, to give you the strength? Absolutely. Absolutely. I just studied the book of Job, and if, if he can do it, then I, and I can do it, right? Um, he, he had it rough. I can have it bad sometimes, but I'll, I don't know if I'll, I'll pray that I'll never have it that rough. I'll let Job set that example. I don't necessarily need to. Have I seen other people go through stuff like that? Yeah, I have. And the peace that passes understanding along the way. How do I receive that peace? I take my problems to the Lord. And he carries my burdens with me. Jesus talks about a yoke, right? A yoke usually has two people in that yoke, right? When Jacob wrestled with the angel, what does he say to his brother after he sees him after that wrestling match? He says, you have a face of an angel. And, I, and to me, I wonder if, if God shows up in a very similar form, a very similar strength as you, because they wrestled together in earthly form, and as we go and as we surrender we use his strength more the less we use our strength and when we use less of our strength less worry less things that peace flows into us that joy wells up into us when we get into his word and we study his word we find his strength and we rely less on our strength and out of the overflow of our cup that we, he's poured into, and it splashes out onto other people. Right? It says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that is a good indicator right there, folks, of where your heart is at with the Lord. Are we spewing heart garbage, as we like to tell my daughter Piper sometimes? Um, or do we spew uh, praise and joy and where does my daughter learn hard garbage well moving on right (laughs) right but that's that's what we have we set the example for them and we set the example of how we walk through um, those things so one example of this of serving others is we can serve the Lord through telling others about Jesus. Right? Evangelism. Evangelism's a, uh, I don't know, say touchy subject, but it's, it's one of those subjects we don't necessarily like to talk about because we're like, oh, I don't have that gift, so I don't have to, to share. But it's also a mandate, too, right? We have a mandate to share the gospel. God tells us to go and Um, The Great Commission tells us to share the gospel, right? So we have a mandate to share. We also have spiritual gifts. So some people can do it better than other people. You know who can do it better than other people? Those who practice doing it. Uh, Usually you find this welling up in them. Uh, Some people can share it better when the Lord's working right in their life right now, and it's easier for them to share as well. So there's, there's a couple things. And sometimes God just gives them the spiritual gift of evangelism, God's changed my heart, and um, I want to see it change lifestyle passed on to other people. So conversations about Jesus happen when we are walking with Jesus, okay? Conversations about Jesus happen when we're, talk, when we're walking with Jesus. I stop and think, when was the last time that happened to me? When was the last time I had a conversation where I shared the love of Jesus, and I was able to share that yesterday. Um, I, I was before this illustration. I'm like, boy, it's been it's been a little while. I, I have, but it's been two or three weeks ago. And I was able to share an opportunity uh, yesterday at Piper's birthday party. So that was fun. So just um, another good question to ask is when was the last time that I or you possibly gave credit to God for the win, like when you had something unexpected happen and you want to share that with somebody. Do you say, "Oh, look! Look, this happened. That I was—I got this check in the mail. It wasn't expected. It was—it was just amazing." Or you could start that sentence with, "Praise God, this happened." Because um, I didn't—I got this check in the mail. I didn't know was coming. It was amazing. I'm able to pay my bills, something to that effect. But even that little start of giving God the praise at the beginning shows where our heart is at. And so giving God credit for the win is also important. So take some time to think back. Think about almost every encounter that Jesus ever had with people on this earth. Were they able to keep silent when they, when they had heart change in their life, were they able to keep silent? And I, I, they don't, right? When they don't have... The only one I can kind of think that he had an encounter with Jesus and he walks away sad is the rich young ruler, right? But we don't know what happens after that. We don't know what happens next. And I think that he does that and it's recorded like that because a lot of times we are that rich young ruler, Right? He says, give up the thing that you want to possess the most, and once you give that up, then God's going to allow you um, to do amazing things through him because you're surrendered to him. Okay? So remember what Christ has done for each one of us. Remember that you're, you, we have a responsibility to tell us everything tell others. And it can be in simple ways by just giving God the glory right at the get-go in our sentences. So I know Jesus has had that kind of love for me. Do I have that kind of love for him? He was willing to stand up for me, and he will stand up for me when I'm at the gates of heaven. Do I have the the courage and the tenacity to stand up for him now? It's a good question. Another way to ask this in a broader term is what does first century jesus-like disciple making look like in the 21st century let's continue on in the story in john chapter 13 verse 6 through 11 Says when jesus came to simon peter peter said to him lord are you going to wash my feet jesus replied you don't understand now what i am doing but someday you will no peter protests you will never wash my feet Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well. Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, whoa, slowly roll there. Peter, I don't think it says that in this version, but I'm sure it says in some version. Uh, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. Your disciple." And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who was going to betray him. That's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. A disciple maker accepts what is offered. Christ is going to give you X, Y, and Z, and you want W, X, Y, and Z. He's going to, a Christ, a disciple maker understands, I don't need the W's. I just need the X, Y, and Z, just what Christ has. When if you look at the, at the disciples' prayer, we, we know it as the Lord's Prayer. It says, uh, give us today our daily bread, right? It asks for our needs. It doesn't ask for, um, give us a fortune so we don't ever have to worry about where bread's coming from. It doesn't say that. It's in the moment, in the now, on our needs. So at first I believe that Peter resists to die to shame. In their role, Peter was supposed to be the one who washed the feet. He was most likely the one in the feet washing position at the lowest spot of the table. I think Jesus designed him there because he wanted him to lead the church. And so this is going to be your role someday. I want you to learn how to wash and serve other people. So Christ does it as the example. He goes over With all of his authority, with all the power in the world, he takes off his robe, and he strips down, puts a towel on, and he grabs the wash basin, and he washes their feet. What does that imply? It implies that nobody did it when they came in in the first place. right? Jesus, they're probably like, well, Jesus says we didn't have to wash when we we were shucking the grain out in the field, so we don't have to wash now, Um, anything to, to justify this or whatnot, this is important Passover. Jesus goes over, and he sets the example by washing feet. So, he was struggling that Jesus took the role as a servant. Peter could not believe that Jesus would lower himself like that. Not just any servant, but the lowest servant in the household, the foot washer. There's got to be somebody downstairs, Peter, that could or Jesus that could do this. We can't you're you're this isn't who you are. This isn't what he, you do and he's like, "You're going to define who I am?" And I think that's where Peter really hit. He's like, "You can't have any part of this." And he says, "Well, if I can't have any part of this, then you can't have any part of me." Well, then wash everything. What's Jesus talking about there on a spiritual level? he's talking about salvation. If I've washed everything once, you're good to go. But it's like communion. Then we come up to the Lord in communion with him. And it's a reminder that we need to continue to wash every day, right? So Peter couldn't believe that Jesus was willing to lower himself to a foot washer but he didn't understand that Jesus was going to lower himself even more than that, right? He was going to lower himself to death. And there's going to be a point in time where Peter's going to deny him, and he's going to say three times um, that I don't know who he is. He's I, I'm not part of him. That's not who I am. And Christ is using this moment also to be able to restore him afterwards. We see that Peter wants to identify as a father of Christ, but he wants to do it with his conditions. I want to be a Christian, but I want to do it on my own terms. Like I want to go to church, but I want to have fun on the weekends, or maybe during the weekdays as church is on the weekend. I don't know. Every day but Sunday morning from 10 to noon if you catch me at twelve fifteen, you might hear a cuss word right that's not what Christ wants Christ wants the whole thing he wants the whole package he says well if he knew how rotten and stinky my package is then he wouldn't want it and I mean, like uh yeah he does because he took mine he took my burden of sin he lifted it off my back and he gave me hope, and he gave me a future, and he wants to do that with each one of you. He can carry that burden. Now, that doesn't mean that all goes on to him. No, sometimes he he shares that burden with you, with that yoke we were talking about at the beginning, but he's going to go at your pace. He's going to go at your strength, but he also wants us to keep moving forward. Don't settle for stuck. Keep moving forward. Peter, what he's struggling with, he sees an earthly kingdom, doesn't he? He sees a kingdom that we can establish. You can, if somebody gets their arm chopped off, you can stick that thing right back on. We can keep going, right? There's, we don't need supply chain issues. You fed 5,000 people. You can feed all these people. We have an army. We can take this on. I'm so excited. Let's go. Or as we say in the videos today, let's go. Oh boy. I've heard. I don't watch those videos. Just kidding. Um, Jesus, Peter wants the glory, the power. He's already been ig, indignant when James and John said, or and his mom said, "We want the the seat at your right and your left. We want to sit there. Uh, allow us." And Jesus said, "That's not a place that I can offer you." But he does ask them, "Are you willing to take?" The suffering that I'm able to take, drink the same cup. And they're like, yeah, we are. Well, Jesus is talking about dying, of crucifixion, right? Well, James was the first to die, and John was the one that had to live, uh, probably into his nineties for Jesus and suffer much longer than many of the other disciples did. So Jesus, I mean, so Peter, he's he's after this glory and power of an earthly kingdom. Um, this is not even in the ballpark where Jesus was going, right? He's teaching them to love in sacrificial action, which means, is Peter even saved? Does he ever understand this? Well, I look back at, at Luke chapter 5, verse 8, and this is way before this. We have this come to Jesus moment when he's out on the Sea of Galilee, throws the nets in the other side, pulls all this fish in, and Jesus looks up and he sees him. He says, oh, Lord, please leave me, for I'm a, such a sinful man. And Christ comes alongside and um, says, that's the center around I'm looking for. Now we can go fish for men. So Peter has had a spiritual bath. He only needs to be clean. Cleansed of his hands and feet, which is what Jesus says in this passage, right? So this is hard on us too. We come with expectations of what the church and Jesus should be, right? We have our own expectations for what Jesus should be. We have our own expectations of what church should be, but we don't always get treated like what we expect. We find that Jesus has his own spec- expectations to go by. And once we enter into a covenant relationship with him, we recognize him as a higher authority. Jesus, you're in charge, I'm gonna follow. What does that look like? It looks like submission. How do I submit more like, to be more like Jesus? Or in other words, how do I become a first century Christ follower in the 21st century? So Peter starts to understand this, he'll understand it really well in four days. And I'll understand it even more in about 30 days after that when uh, Jesus restores him. So we need to apply the scriptures to our lives. We need to understand what it means. Not only understand it up here, but let it change our heart and let it come out into our hands and our feet and change the world because we are acting like Jesus for Jesus' sake and not our sake. Peter finally gets that. Peter is finally surrendered. Thomas finally gets that. He finally stops doubting. John finally gets that. And he he moves forward. James gets it for about, I don't know, a couple months. And then he gets killed because of it. Right? Are we willing to love Jesus enough to allow it to change our hearts after it's changed our minds? And therefore, change our lifestyle to look more like him? That's a tough, tough thing. We who profess Christ have already washed the bowl inside and out. But when we come to Jesus this morning, when it comes to communion, it is coming to wash it and cleanse those hands and feet that get a little bit dirty, right? With sin. This is, allows us to prepare when we ask that question. What does a first century Jesus-like disciple-making look like in the 21st century? Because our hearts, they got to be in the right place. Let's finish this passage that we're going to look at today. Verse 12 through 17. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and, and asked, Do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is the master more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. As I have done... So you should do. What we see Christ doing here in this passage, we need to do. We need to do that in our marriage. We need to do that in our relationships, with our family, with our friends, with our enemies. What? You're supposed to serve your enemies? Yes, you are supposed to serve your enemies because that is, in a sense, what Christ did for me. When I am not Christ, when I was not for Christ, that means I was against him. When I'm not surrendered to Christ, that means I am against him. I am his enemy. I am part of this world. Can he draw me closer to him? Yes, he can, but it's my choice to cross over. And once I cross over, my attitude changes. My lifestyle changes. It does it naturally. How? How? You have that still small voice in your head saying, yep, probably shouldn't do that anymore. Um, You have conviction that comes along with that. You have um, somebody that says, I want to serve first instead of being served. That is the America today. Me, me, me. Look at it, it's seeping into our government, it is seeping into our churches, it is seeping into our own lifestyles. It's all about me, Jesus, it's not about you. That's a lie, and that's where we're getting today. It makes me sick. So how can I do this? Who am I angry at right now? I need to serve them. Oh, but they, you don't understand. I probably don't understand, but I'm angry at somebody before too. And I need to learn how to forgive them. And the best way to do that is through loving them sacrificially. Ah, oh, If you only knew, well, yeah, there's plenty of that out there. But I want to have the attitude of Christ. I want to come alongside anyone like he came alongside me i'm no longer his enemy and he com- commands speaks strongly to that i should serve my enemy ah oh, man what does that look like it looks like our call to worship this morning folks it looks like philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 it says you must have the same attitude as christ jesus had though he was god He did not think of of equality with God as something to cling to. God asked him to come down to die on the cross. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hang on to this, what I have in perfection up here. No, he willingly went right away. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. So what do we have here him doing? Washing feet first, and then he really showed them how he loved by dying on the cross. Humble A slave, he was born as a human being. He took his divinity, he packaged it into the finite, which is human, and he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. We're talking about the worst kind of death that you can die. He was beaten with whips. He was um, mocked. He had a thorn of crowns placed on his head. He's bleeding out, and he didn't get any food, and he didn't get any water because we know that because the way he died with the pressure around his heart, when they burst, it was full of water and blood. It's because he was dehydrated, and he died on that cross. You don't have blood and water come out unless you're dead he was dead, dead, right? For three days, two and a half, however you want to kind of look at it, right? But um, traditional three days in the Jewish culture. So he gives up this divine privilege to become human. He becomes the lowest human as a slave. Why? Because he was obedient to God. God said, this is the only way. If we don't set the example, nobody's going to do it. And if you don't go down there, they're all going to die, And Jesus is like, I got you. And he didn't say that to him, even though he does have him. He's got you, and he hands his hand out to you. Are you willing to surrender and grab my hand and come to Jesus? To pay for the sin of the world, he was perfection. He was the only one who could afford the debt that we had acquired. And we still acquire it today, don't we? It's what communion symbolizes, Right? What does God do about that? The story doesn't stop there, does it? Philippians chapter two, nine through eleven says, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor, and he gave him the name above all other names. That in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Through Jesus, God opened the door for all to be saved. Praise God. It started with Christ's attitude. To take on the attitude of Christ, not the people of this world. Yes, it is hard to think about ourselves, but the long term will pay off for eternity. When we die to self, pick up our cross and follow jesus when we do that we're always asking what does the first century jesus-like disciple making look like in the 21st century let's pray lord jesus i thank you for the opportunity to come alongside as a leader of this church to humble myself and come alongside each other as a church and yoke with them, with you, and walk together for this community. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we start getting out front and pointing the way. Forgive us when we um, think we know better. Forgive us when we defiantly know what's wrong and we turn away from you. Lord, allow us that defiance to stay, but against the darkness, against the Powers of this world, we will not move any further. Lord, we will put our stake in the ground today to serve you, a God who loves us so much that he's willing to give up the best to save us from the worst. Lord, forgive us when we don't understand that. Allow us to have wisdom and discernment to follow you and move forward. Lord, we thank you for our time together and as we get ready to take communion. Lord, we ask that you would um, walk with us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hellers, you want to come on up?